Hello everyone, welcome to the Simply Nikki Show. In today's episode, I will talk about the Black Farmers in America cultivation within the U.S. agriculture. I will give a brief history of Black Farmers in America after the Civil War to today's Black Farmers in America during the pandemic with a $326 billion land loss during the 20th century and my thoughts on President Joe Biden's rescue plan and so much more. Share this episode with everyone you know and follow me on all podcasting platforms such as Anchor FM, Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music by searching the Simply Nikki Podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Now, before we can understand the now, we must go back into the past. So now I'm going to give you a brief history on the Black farmers' experience back then to understand the now. As numerous of times the American government promised, make empty promises, said they're going to do something and never do, and it hasn't just started now, it's been ongoing since the beginning. And in order to understand the black farmers' experiences now and the amount of land loss and the systematic structures that made it that way, we must understand the past. Because why? If you don't understand and know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And as I've been noticing lately, as I've been living, (laughs) as long as I've been living, I've been realizing that way long ago. Okay? So, I'm going to read an article from History.com on how the government, America, made empty promises, lied, and continued these same practices years later. So according to History.com, with the Emancipation Proclamation, the quote-unquote abolishment of slavery, that was not all it was cracked up to be. Because according to American government, that amendment means you're free. But that's not what they were told. And that's not what we found out centuries later okay because anything of a policy that they sign into law from then to now is affecting us still to this day so do not tell me to get over your history get over slavery get over the change around your mind and your body when stuff is still happening it's just different forms and different methods in modern day Okay, and what I always say is technology advances, but everything else stay the same. Okay, so when formerly enslaved African Americans were quote unquote free by the government, okay, put quotations, you cannot just go into the world without nothing and expect to make a living for your family. When you were not able to make a living. When you were making a living. And building things. For years and years and decades and decades. For. Other people. Off your back. And your labor. How do you have time to understand certain things? You see what I'm saying? So. When. Quote unquote. Free. Formerly enslaved African Americans. Got, you know, got the papers. It was a twist. Now you need our help. So that's 
where sharecropping comes in. And according to History.com, sharecropping is a type of farming in which families rent small plots of land from a landowner in return for a portion of their crop to be given to the landowner at the end of each year. Different types of sharecropping have been practiced worldwide for centuries, but in the rural South, it was typically practiced by formerly enslaved people. With the Southern economy in disarray after the abolishment of slavery and the devastation of the Civil War, sharecropping enabled white landowners to reestablish a labor force while giving free black people a means of substance. However, the system severely restricted the economic mobility of the laborers, leading to conflicts during the Reconstruction era. And this is why I say, if you don't know your history, you must know every chapter, every year, every event that has happened going into your now and the present day of the modern times. So you can understand when you see BS. You see what I'm saying? You're not going to be bamboozled. You're not going to be blindsided. You're not going to fall into anything because you know your history. Knowledge is power. Okay? And this is what comes in, according to the article, the 40 acres and the mule. Remember that saying? Go up to the, go to the hill and be at the mountaintop. The promised land. Nothing was ever promised. Okay? During the final months of the Civil War, tens of thousands of free slaves left their plantations to follow General William T. Sherman's victorious Union Army troops across Georgia and the Carolinas. In January 1865, in an effort to address the issues caused by this growing number of refugees, Sherman issued Special Field Order Number 15, a temporary plan granting each free family 40 acres of land on the islands and coastal region of Georgia. Again, Sherman issued Special Field Order Number 15, a temporary plan granting each free family 40 acres of land on the islands and coastal region of Georgia. The Union Army also donated some of its mules unneeded for battle purposes to the former slaves. When the war ended three months later, many free African Americans saw the 40 acres in the mule policy as proof that they would finally be able to work their own land after years of servitude. Only land only land was the key to economic independence and autonomy. Instead, as one of the first acts of Reconstruction, President Andrew Johnson ordered all land under federal control to be returned to its previous owners in the summer of 1865. The sharecropping system also locked much of the South into a reliance on cotton, just at the time when the price of cotton was plunging. In addition, while sharecropping gave African Americans autonomy in their daily work and social lives and freed them from the gang labor system that had dominated during the slavery era, it often resulted in sharecroppers owing more to the landowner for the use of tools and other supplies, for example, than they were able to repay. Some black people, 
managed to acquire enough money to move from sharecropping to renting or owning land by the end of the 1860s. But many more went into debt or were forced by poverty or the threat of violence to sign unfair and exploitative sharecropping or labor contracts that left them in that left them little hope of improving their situation in this article according to history.com the freemans bureau created to aid millions of former slaves in the post-war era had to inform the freemen and women that they could either sign labor contracts with planters or be evicted from the land they had occupied those who refused or restricted were eventually forced out by army troops and the Freedoms Bureau was created on March 3, 1865, that Congress passed, which was an act to establish a Bureau for the Relief of Freemen and Refugees to provide food, shelter, clothing, medical services, and land to displaced Southerners, including newly free African Americans. And that was not all, ladies and gentlemen. It was also more. According to Black Codes, in the early years of Reconstruction, most black people living in rural areas of the South were left without land and forced to work as laborers on large white-owned farms and plantations in order to earn a living. Many clashed with former slave masters bent on reestablishing a gang labor system similar to the one that prevailed under slavery. And again, gang labor system was where in slavery they worked from sunup to sundown. In an effort to regulate the labor force and reassert white supremacy in the post-war South, legislators and former Confederate states soon passed restrictive laws denying black people legal equality or political rights and created black codes that forced former slaves to sign yearly labor contracts or be arrested and jailed for vacancy. These black codes provoked a fierce resistance among the freemen and undermined its support in the North for President Johnson's Reconstruction policies. A Republican victory in the congressional elections of 1866 led to the passage of the Reconstruction Acts in 1867, beginning a new phrase of Reconstruction. I will be reading an article done by New York Times on black farmers' fear foreclosure as debt relief remains frozen Done by Alan Rappenport, published on February 21, 2022, detailing an experience of a black farmer in the South. And I quote, For Brandon Smith, a fourth-generation cattle rancher from Texas, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package that President Joe Biden signed to law nearly a year ago was long-awaited relief. Little did he know how much longer he would have to wait. The legislation included $4 billion of debt forgiveness for black and other socially disadvantaged farmers, a group that has endured decades of discrimination from banks and the federal government. Smith, a black father of four who owes about $200,000 in outstanding loans on his ranch, quickly signed and returned documents to the Agricultural Department last year, formally accepting the debt relief. He then purchased more equipment for his ranch, believing that he had been given a financial lifeline. And ladies and gentlemen, this story is nothing new. Instead, Smith has fallen deeper into debt. 
Months after signing the paperwork, he received a notice informing him that the federal government intended to accelerate foreclosure on his 46-acre property and cattle if he did not start making payments on the loans he believed had been forgiven. Smith quotes, I trusted the government that we had a deal. And down here at the end of the day, the rug gets pulled out from under me, Smith says, at the age of 43. Black farmers across the nation have yet to see any of Biden's promised relief. And ladies and gentlemen, Biden's promise has been very empty and has not shown anything to this day. As I continue, while the president has pledged to pursue policies to promote racial equity and correct decades of discrimination, legal issues have complicated that goal. In May 2021, the Agricultural Department started sending letters to borrowers who were eligible to have their debt cleared, asking them to sign and return forms confirming their balances. The payments, which also are supposed to cover tax liabilities and fees associated with clearing the debt, were expected to come in phases beginning in June. But the entire initiative has been stymied admin lawsuits from white farmers and groups representing them that question whether the government could offer debt relief based on race. Courts in Wisconsin, Florida have issued preliminary injunctions against the initiative, siding with plaintiffs who argue that the debt relief amounted to discrimination and could therefore be illegal. A class action lawsuit against the USDA is proceeding in Texas this year. The Biden administration has not appealed the injunctions, but a spokesperson for the Agriculture Department said it was continuing to defend the program in the courts as the cases move forward. The legal limbo has created new and unexpected financial strains for black farmers, many of whom who have been unable to make investments in their businesses given ongoing uncertainty about their debt loads. It also poses a political problem for Biden who was propelled to power by black voters and now must make good on promises to improve their fortunes. And that, ladies and gentlemen, he has not been doing. The law was intended to help remedy years of discrimination that non-white farmers have endured, including land theft and a rejection of loan applications by banks and the federal government. The program designated aid to about 15,000 borrowers who receive loans directly from the federal government or have their bank loans guaranteed by the USDA. Those eligible included farmers and ranchers who have been subject to racial or ethnic prejudice, including those who are Black, Native American, Alaskan Native, Asian American, Pacific Islander, or Hispanic. After the initiative was rolled out last year, it met swift opposition. Banks were unhappy that the loans would be repaid early, depriving them of interest payments. Groups of white farmers in Wisconsin, North Dakota, Oregon, and Illinois sued the Agriculture Department, arguing that offering debt relief on the basis of skin color is discriminatory. Suggesting that a successful black farmer could have his debts cleared while a struggling white farm could go out of business. America's First Legal, a group led by the former Trump administration official Stephen Miller, filed a lawsuit making a similar argument in U.S. District Court for the Northern District of Texas. 
Last June, before the money started flowing, a federal judge in Florida blocked the program on the basis that it applied strictly on racial grounds irrespective of any other factor. The delays have angered the black farmers that the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress were trying to help. They argued that the law was poorly written and that the White House is not defending it forcefully enough in court out of fear that a legal defeat could undermine other policies that are predicated on race. Those concerns became even more pronounced late last year when the government sent thousands of letters to minority farmers who were behind on their loan payments warning that they faced foreclosure. The letters were sent automatically to any borrowers who were past due on their loans, including about one-third of the 15,000 socially disadvantaged farmers who applied for the debt relief, according to the Agricultural Department. Leonard Jackson, a cattle farmer in Muskegee, Oklahoma, received such a letter despite being told by the USDA that he did not need to make loan payments because his $235,000 in debt will be paid off by the government. The letter was drawn for Jackson, whose father, a wheat and soybean farmer, had his farm equipment foreclosed on by the government years earlier. The prospect of losing his 33 cows, house, and trailer was unfathomable. Jackson quotes, They said that they were paying off everybody's loan and not to make payments, and then they sent this. Jackson, who was 55, said, the legal fight over the funds has stirred widespread confusion, with black and other farmers stuck in the middle. This year, the Federation of Southern Cooperatives has fielded calls from minority farmers who said that financial problems have been compounded. It has become even harder for them to get access to credit now, they say, that the fate of the debt relief is unclear. It has definitely caused a very significant panic and a lot of distress among our members, said Denia Davey, Director of Land Retention and Advocacy at the Federation of Southern Cooperatives Land Assistance Fund. The Agriculture Department said that it was required by law to send the warnings, but that the government had no intention of foreclosing on farms, cited a moratorium on such action that was put in place early last year because of the pandemic. After the New York Times inquired about the foreclosure letters, the USDA sent borrowers who had received notices another letter late last month telling them to disregard the foreclosure threat. So if it wasn't for the New York Times and other reporters reporting on these stories, particularly on the black farmers and what the farmers in general were being told of being in foreclosure, if it wasn't reported or inquired about, that they would not have gotten another letter saying to disregard it because they knew that they got caught and they knew that they was wrong for trying to go against what they had put in to this bill they was trying to make and say, oh, here goes some debt relief, but we still going to give you foreclosure. That's why they did that, because they was caught and they know they was wrong. So as I continue, it states, we want borrowers to know the bottom line is actions such as acceleration and foreclosure remain suspended for direct loan borrowers due to the pandemic, said Kay Waters, a department spokesperson. 
We remain under the moratorium and we will continue to communicate with our borrowers so that they understand their rights and understand their debt servicing options. The more than 2,000 minority farmers who receive private loans that are guaranteed by the USDA are not protected by the federal moratorium and could still face foreclosure. Again, the more than 2,000 Minority farmers who receive private loans that are guaranteed by the USDA are not protected by the federal moratorium and could still face foreclosure. And that is crazy to me. When somebody smiles in your face like this administration, many presidents in this country has done, smile in your face, but kick rocks at you and talk about you. And don't pay you no man behind your back and says, oh, this is in the bill. That's why reading is fundamental. A headline is just a headline. Read the fine print, please. Because we're hearing numbers. We're hearing $4 billion of debt relief for farmers. But what about black farmers? How much are they getting out the deal? Because according to the New York Times, it states that the more than 2,000 minority farmers who receive private loans that are guaranteed by the USDA are not protected by the federal moratorium and could still face foreclosure. Crazy. As I continue, some black farmers argue that the Agriculture Department, led by Secretary Tom, was too slow to disperse the debt relief and allow Chris time to mount a legal assault on the law. So Secretary Tom was too slow to disperse the debt relief and allow Chris time to mount a legal assault on the law. Crazy. The Biden administration has been left with few options but to let the legal process play out, which could take months or years. And in his case, it's going to be a long time, okay? The White House has been hopeful that a new measure in Biden's sweeping social policy and climate bill will ultimately provide the farmers the debt relief they have been expecting. Mr. President, they've been expecting it since you put it on the bill, and you still have not. It's 2022. But that bill has stalled in the Senate and is unlikely to pass in its current form. But but we got, they said Democrat got a lot of power in the Senate housing. Y'all still can't get nothing done. Y'all arguing amongst each other. Like nobody's over here struggling to survive. Make it make sense. As I continue, while we continue to defend and court the relief in an American rescue plan, remember that rescue plan, people? Remember the Build Back Better plan, people, for America? You know, that they keep going to different states trying to campaign over and over again like nobody's seen it the first hundred times on TV? Yeah, that one. 
While we continue to defend and court the relief in the American Rescue Plan, getting a broader relief provision that the House passed signed into law remains the surest and quickest way to help farmers in economic distress across the nation, including thousands and thousands of farmers of color, Gene Sperling, the White House pandemic relief czar, said in a statement. For black farmers who have seen their ranks fall from more than 1 million to fewer than 40,000 in the past century, admin industry consolidation and honoris long terms, the disappointment is not surprising. John Boyd, president of the National Black Farmers Association, said that rather than hearing about more government reports on racial equity, black farmers want to see results. Amen to that. John Boyd also said that we need implementation, action, and resource to farm. And that is the end of the New York Times on how black farmers fear foreclosure as debt relief remains frozen. I will be reading an article on Reuters.com on U.S. black farmers lost $326 billion worth of land in the 20th century done by Leah Douglas, published on May 2, 2022. And I quote, black farmers in the United States lost roughly $326 billion worth of acreage during the 20th century, according to the first study to quantify the present day value of their loss. Land loss is a contributor to the racial wealth gap in the United States and an issue that has marred the relationship between the USDA and minority farmers. Wealth and land is one way in this country that you're able to grow opportunity for your family, said Dr. Denia Francis, professor of economics at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, and lead author of the study published on Sunday in the American Economic Association Papers and Proceedings Journal. When huge groups of African Americans were denied the opportunity, it speaks to the intergenerational wealth gap that opened up in part due to this type of land loss, Francis added. The land loss was due to discriminatory USDA lending policies and forced sales of co-owned land called heirs property, among other factors, the study said. The study calculated the compounded value of declining acreage owned by African Americans between 1920 and 1997 in the 17 states where almost all black-owned farms were documented using data from the USDA Census of Agriculture. This is not just theoretical, but this is empirical, said Dr. Derek Hamilton, economics professor at the New School and another of the study authors. These are real losses that occurred. In 1910, black farmers owned more than 16 million acres of land, according to experts. In 2017, when the most recent agricultural census was done, that figure was just 4.7 million acres, about 0.5% of all farmland. The $326 billion figure is a conservative estimate, said the study authors, in part because it does not account for multiplier effects like whether black farmers could have used lost land as collateral to make other investments. A Biden administration effort to provide debt relief to farmers of color as part of the American Rescue Plan Act framed as repair for past USDA discrimination is currently stalled 
in court after white farmers argued it was discriminatory. Now that we covered the history of the black farmers' experience in America in the past and also today's black farmers in America during the pandemic, I'm going to leave off some key prominent figures who cultivated and created the U.S. agricultural of today. Okay, I'm going to read an article by agdaily.com written by Dr. Carroll published on March 12, 2021 on the black history is American history and the U.S. history of U.S. agriculture. And I quote, the role of African-Americans in shaping the history of the United States cannot be overstated. Black history is American history and it's the history of U.S. agriculture. Enslaved people were the main workforce in cotton and tobacco plantations in the antebellum South, and after the Emancipation Proclamation, they largely remained very poor sharecroppers. At their peak in 1920, there were 925,708 black farmers, accounting for 17% or about one-sixth of U.S. farmers. A century later, According to the 2017 Census of Agriculture, there were 35,470 farms with black producers, just 1.7% of the U.S. total. People of African descent have a long agricultural tradition in the U.S. in spite of their forced farm labor under chattel slavery. Black pioneers helped to settle the frontier long before the Civil War and are integral part of our American past, but that our tradition is not well known. A number of historical figures have played prominent roles in agriculture around the time of the Civil War and through the Emancipation Proclamation and beyond. This post is dedicated to learning more about them and their lives. First up, Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington, the great educator, was born in 1856 and later passed on in 1915. He was an American educator, author, orator, and advisor to multiple presidents of the United States. Between 1890 and 1915, Washington was a dominant leader in the African-American community and of the contemporary black elite. APLU's Council of 1890s designated 19 universities with land-grant status under the Morrell Act of 1890. In addition, there are two HBCUs designated under the Morrell Act of 1862. These institutions were created to provide instruction, extension education, and research in agricultural, home economics, and the mechanical arts. The Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute opened on July 4, 1881 by Washington and others despite having no land, no buildings, and only a small state appropriation of $2,000 a year for faculty salaries. Washington borrowed money to buy a depleted plantation and employ students to erect buildings in exchange for tuition, holding classes in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Together, Washington and his students built Tuskegee Institute from the ground up, and the first class of 30 students graduated in 1885. Under Washington's direction, 
students produced their own food and provided for most of their own basic necessities, including building a kiln and making bricks for new structures. Next up is George Washington Carver. He saved the South from starvation. George Washington Carver, born in 1864 and later passed on in 1943, was born a slave on a Missouri farm in 1865. Carver became the first black student and the first black faculty member at what is now Iowa State University and what was later recruited by Booker T. Washington to the Tuskegee Institute. He was an agricultural scientist, inventor, and educator who sought to revitalize southern soil that was stripped by cotton, a nitrogen-depleting crop. He developed a crop rotation method that alternated the cotton with legumes like peanuts that fixed nitrogen and other edible crops such as corn. In addition to crop rotation, Dr. Carver promoted the practice of using compost to reintroduce nutrients and add organic matter to the soil. He showed that using compost for soil revitalization increases productivity by a hundredfold compared with previous common methods. During World War I, there were shortages of crops and food. Sound familiar? And Carver began to develop alternative uses for sweet potatoes, soybeans, and peanuts. Peanuts were primarily used at the time to feed livestock, but he developed hundreds of products, including plastics, synthetic rubber, and paper from them. From soybeans, Carver invented a process for producing paints and stains for which three separate patents were issued. Among Carver's many synthetic discoveries, such as adhesive, axle grease, bleach, chili sauce, creosote, dyes, flour, instant coffee, shoe polish, shaving cream, vanishing cream, wood stains and fillers, insulating board, linotheum, meat tenderizer, metal polish, milk flakes, soy conditioner, and Woolshire sauce. In all, he developed 300 products from peanuts and 118 from sweet potatoes, in addition to new products from waste materials, including recycled oil and paints and stains from clay. Historians agree that Carver's scientific achievements were one of the vitally important factors in the economic and social progress of the South. Next up is Henry Blair a patent holder, inventor, and farmer. Henry Blair was born in 1807 and later passed on in 1860. He was an inventor and farmer and the second African-American to hold a U.S. patent. Blair was born in Glen Ross, Maryland in 1807 and was apparently not enslaved. He operated an independent business. Despite being illiterate and uneducated, he was a successful farmer who patented two inventions, a corn planter and a cotton planter. The corn planter had a compartment that held and dropped seeds to the ground and rakes followed to cover them with soil. The cotton planter was horse-drawn and had two shovel-like attachments that divided the soil. Behind it, he put a cylindrical wheel that dropped the seeds into the newly turned soil. Both of his inventions greatly increased efficiency on the farm by limiting labor and time. 
At the time Blair's patents were granted, United States law allowed patents to be granted to both free and enslaved men. In 1857, an enslaver challenged the courts for the right to claim credit for an enslaved person's invention. Ain't that something? Child. Since an enslaver's enslaved people were his property, the plaintiffs argued anything in the possession of these enslaved people was the owner's property as well. The following year, patent law changed so as to exclude the enslaved from patent eligibility. In 1871, after the Civil War, the law was revised to grant all American men, regardless of race, the right to patent their inventions. Women were not included in this intellectual property protection. And now we go on to talk about Percy LaVon Julian, the chemist who synthesized hormones from plants, also known as Percy L. Julian High School, that's in Chicago on the south side. Percy LaVon Julian was born in the year 1899 and later passed on in 1975. He was born in Montgomery, Alabama, the son of a railway mail clerk and a grandson of enslaved people. He was accepted at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana as a sub-freshman, meaning that he had to take high school courses concurrently with his freshman courses. Majoring in chemistry, he graduated as a valedictorian of his class in 1920. After graduation, he taught chemistry at Fisk University for two years before winning an Austin Fellowship to Harvard University where he completed a master's degree in organic chemistry. After Harvard, he returned to teaching at West Virginia State College and Howard University. He was a research chemist and pioneer in the chemical synthesis of medicinal drugs from plants such as cortisone, steroids, and birth control pills. In the 1930s, chemists recognized the structural similarity of a large group of natural substances, the steroids. These include the sex hormones and the cortical hormones of the adrenal glands. The medicinal potential of these compounds was clear but extracting sufficient quantities of them virtually impossible. He was inducted into the National Academy of the Sciences, National Inventors Hall of Fame, and American Chemical Society for his lasting work. Throughout his life, he was socially active in groups seeking to advance conditions for African Americans, helping to find the Legal Defense and Educational Fund of Chicago, and serving on the boards of several other organizations and universities. Next up is Frederick McKinley Jones, the inventor. Frederick McKinley Jones was born in the year of 1893 and later passed on in 1961. He may have invented one of the most important things for modern agriculture, the refrigerated truck. Patent in the 1940s, the system was installed in trucks, boats, planes, and trains, which allowed perishable foods to be transported long distances and overseas. The concept of frozen foods in the cold sections in supermarkets are based off his ideas. Jones was born in Cincinnati, Ohio on May 17, 1893 to a white father and black mother. His mother deserted him when he was a young child. His father struggled to raise him on his own. His childhood was a challenging time. Jones had talent for and an interest in mechanics. He read intensively on the subject in addition to his daily work and educated himself 
in his spare time. By the time he was 20, Jones was able to secure an engineering license in Minnesota. He served in U.S. Army during World War I, where he was often called upon to make repairs to machines and other equipment. After the war, he returned to the farm. Jones was also self-taught in electronics. When the town decided to fund a new radio station, Jones built the transmitter needed to broadcast its programming. He also developed a device to combine moving pictures with sound. Over the course of his career, Jones received more than 60 patents. While the majority pertain to refrigeration technologies, others related to x-ray machines, engines, and sound equipment. Jones was recognized for his achievements both during his lifetime and after his death. In 1944, he became the first African-American elected to the American Society of Refrigeration Engineers. In 1991, President George H.W. Bush awarded the National Medal of Technology posthumously to Jones, presenting the award to his widow at a ceremony held in the White House Rose Garden. Jones was the first African-American to receive the award. Lastly, but certainly not least, we have Marie Maynard Daly, chemist and mentor. Marie Maynard Daly was born in the year of 1921 and later passed on in 2003. She was the first African-American woman to receive a Ph.D. in chemistry from Columbia University in 1947 in the United States. Prior to that, she attended Queens College in Flushing, New York, where she graduated magna cum laude with a Bachelor's of Science degree in chemistry. Magna cum laude describes the second highest level academic achievement you can graduate with at a college or university in the United States. Daly worked closely with scientist Dr. Quinn B. Demi, and their work opened up a new understanding of how foods and diet can affect the health of the heart and the circulatory system. After receiving her Ph.D., she held an instructor position at Howard University for two years and began research on the composition and metabolism of components in the cell nucleus. Daly's early research included studies of the effects of cholesterol on the mechanics of the heart, the effects of sugars and other nutrients on the health of arteries, and the breakdown of the circulatory system as a result of advanced age or hypertension. Later, she studied how proteins are produced and organized in the cell. Later in her career, they developed programs to increase the number of minorities in medical schools and graduate science programs. After reading about historical black figures in agriculture, this just shows me that with very little education that they had back then and with the skills that they learned, that they were still able to cultivate the U.S. agriculture in today's modern society. That it doesn't matter how much you know, how little you know, what you look like, how you act, or how much words you know in the dictionary. That as long as someone understands you, your message still transcends to people. And as long as that person or people understand what you're saying, the knowledge is power. They can also translate that to empower other people like you have instilled in you based on what God has created in you. So don't let nobody tell you that you cannot sit at a certain table, that you cannot create your own table, that you cannot do certain things because certain things you don't have doesn't mount to you having a voice. You have a voice and you do matter.
This goes to show the importance of agriculture and why it's important to learn the process of farming, especially during times where the increase of fires at food plants and distribution sites is happening, and also the rise of food prices. Growing your own farm is essential because you can determine how and what goes into your food so that it can be beneficial to you regarding your health and environment.